This is Get in the Mecca, the weekly anime and manga show where we take things one step further. I analyze everything from arcs to OPs to episodes in my wacky but enjoyable quest to make sense of all of it. Welcome back to Get in the Mecca. I'm your host Jamal today, and in today's episode, I bring you an episode I probably wouldn't do, but in this episode, I want to talk about my favorite manga as of now, which is Reiraku or Downfall by Inyo Asano. Most people will know Asano for his and one of probably one of the most popular manga out there, Oyasumi Punpun, highly acclaimed and really got the name out there for Asano, but this manga is one which isn't spoken about as much. I have seen it around, but it's definitely one of my favorites for a few reasons, and that's why I want to discuss it today. I'm not really going to be talking in detail about all of the ins and outs of the manga, although it is a short one anyway, it's eight chapters. I want to talk about why this is my favorite manga and how complex it is and what it's able to achieve within the space of eight chapters. We'll be talking about the philosophies of this manga, its somewhat critique on the manga industry, and art in general. If you do enjoy this podcast, feel free to leave a review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you do get your podcasts, that'd be greatly appreciated. But without further ado, here is the episode for this week. That is episode 41 of Get in the Mecca, an analysis of Inyo Asano's manga, Downfall. I'll be honest, and I don't think, or this isn't my attempt to toot my own horn or feel good about myself, but I think I've watched and read quite a few things now in regards to the anime and manga space. Not necessarily as much manga as I wish to have done, but I definitely feel like I've become quite engrossed within the medium. And within that journey, you definitely come across a lot of things which are quite realistic, some which aren't quite realistic, but there are very few pieces which I think are this attached to realism. And I run into that in regards to anime, and the main one I would call out is Sangatsu no Leon, directed by Shimbo over at Shaft. However, in regards to manga, I haven't really come across something of this depth before, an attachment to realism. And Reiraku, which is something which I read not very long ago, I read this a few weeks ago even. Downfall, I can definitely say, is one of which has really tapped into that for me, and I find that so special when something is able to tap into the reality of things, and the harsh reality of life, and the way of which we lead our own lives. And so what is Downfall about? And it's quite a self-explanatory title, although rather vague also, ironically. But Downfall, I'm not going to be doing a plot summary for this, mostly because I feel as if this manga is quite somber and when you read it you might not agree with what I'm saying but I don't feel like it'll be very respectful in regards to the manga by giving it this dramatic plot summary and so I'm just going to briefly outline the plot. The story concerns a mangaka known as Kaoru Fukusawa who recently finished their long serialization of their previous manga. Kaoru eventually falls out of love with the concept of manga and a lot of things which surround it and are connected to it, including many of the people of which he is involved with within his daily life. Asuno's Downfall is an 8 chapter manga which follows the journey of a mangaka in an almost deteriorating state of mind and a growing distaste for his former passion and his outlook for self-expression. 
I think the plot summary does set quite the tone already. It's very to the point, and these plot points don't take very long to manifest. In fact, we're already within that state from the very beginning. So across the eight chapters, we arguably see this deterioration of this manga's state of mind and his ability to care about the medium of which he once was really into just collapse right in front of him, and how he manages to deal with that and cope with that is also something really interesting to spectate over eight chapters. Arsenault manages to bring up some very relevant things in regards to the manga industry and what potentially holds it back. And I'm—I should establish this. I don't necessarily think that or know that this is Arsenault's point of view, and it might just be for the sake of characterization as he's representing Kaoru's point of view. But at least he's able to bring up these themes, which I think are actually quite relevant within the manga industry and potentially creative industries as a whole. The two things I'd say, which are brought up within the manga, which again is relevant to the manga industry of which we know, are freedom and this almost commercial element of the industry. This dimension of freedom is one which is a lot more complex, or at least feels a lot more abstract, as we have to understand what art is and what your view of art is. And whether manga artists and artists in general are able to escape this, and I think it really and only truly makes sense when you consider it in context to the commercial elements of the manga industry. Like almost any part of the creative industry and creative industries as a whole, they've definitely been overrun by this commercial component, or if you want to be blunt about it, capitalism. Everything has been underpinned by numbers and success on the commercial scale. We even see this today. <laughs> Weirdly enough, if you go on Twitter and you scroll through something to do with manga, you will see a manga sales chart. You will see this manga is the most or best-selling manga of all time, or the best-selling this month. It's always about competition. It's always about being ahead and showing that success. Through this almost quote-unquote objective figure being numbers, and I, I guess you can suggest that if we go back to freedom, manga artists are no exception, and they are not free of this. They're also restricted. If we go back to freedom, manga artists, according to Downfall, almost limited by this notion of pretension. When one tries to quote-unquote push art and go beyond those who have inspired them, I'll talk about this more in context of the manga slightly later in today's episode. But when one is attempting to push art and try to go beyond those who almost established the foundations for them and create something which is almost new and innovative, they're seen as pretentious. We get this discourse throughout the manga. I think this is also something we just see in general discourse as well. When I'm generally not someone who's very for the term pretentious, and when people call a piece of media pretentious, I, I kind of feel like it just stifles debates and stifles discussion. That they're trying to do too much, or they're trying to be almost too stylistic in their approach. They're being almost, and I, I say sarcastically, too artistic. And similarly, the manga mirrors that sort of talk and discussion which we get amongst manga and anime fans, and just art discourse in general. As a result, I think this creates somewhat of a paradox as to how does one receive validation for their work? Do they receive validation for being innovative and trying to change and push and inspire art and what has art and its future, or do they receive validation through numbers? And no one really likes to, or at least within the manga, prove that they are full in invested within the numbers and numbers only. However, it's the only thing of which they have to evaluate themselves, and so the artists constantly. Try to escape this notion of numbers, and 
It's the sentence we get a lot just in daily life that it's not about the numbers, not about quantity, it's about quality. But how do we measure quality, especially when we have this discourse of pretension and, as I said earlier, being too artistic? So numbers only limit one's creative freedom. And I will come clean, I don't have all the facts about the industry, but at least throughout the last decade being the 2010s and even before that, the industry has become, the industry has most definitely become a lot more risk-free or quote-unquote risk-free. There are almost a lot less art house anime today as now income is a big thing and I respect that but when one wants to push art they're limited by how that will work successfully. I think a perfect example of this would be Mamoru Oshii's Angel's Egg. Again, I'm not going to go into the details of that movie, but just know that he lost jobs for making something which was quite unique and different. It, it dared to be different. However, when you have an industry which is concerned about making the buck and pumping out the next million dollar piece or whatever, one's creative freedom is very much limited and Asano manages to almost comment on that through the likes of Kaioru. Within the manga, we see various attempts to try and escape the confines of almost art restriction and the grueling life it is to live in and go through a world of which doesn't allow one to create to the extent to which they want to. And in the case of Kaoru, he does this through hedonism and the seeking pleasure. Within some of the chapters, he sleeps with various prostitutes, but the, the intention isn't necessarily for what you think it is. This isn't a borderline H manga. If anything, its intention is to have a conversation. He tries to almost forget that he's a manga artist for whether that's a, a few minutes at least. And he doesn't even tell the people which he sleeps with that he is a mangaka because he attempts to escape and deceive himself that he is something a lot better than that or at least doesn't want to accept that he is part of this movement of which he doesn't wish to push art. This opens up this almost new philosophical layer which I really want to discuss and that is, you guessed it, existentialist philosophy. If you've listened to early episodes of the podcast, I've spoken about existentialism and even absurdism with the likes of Evangelion. Absurdism was last week and then existentialism, we did that on episode 33 I think of Getting the Mecca in relation to Evangelion. So if you want a bit more context on that, check out those episodes. But I will be talking a bit about existentialism and again, you guessed it, Sartre. I do want to change the focus a bit because instead of looking directly at Sartre and existence preceding essence, although that is one of his main principles, I want to talk about what Sartre says in relation to bad faith because that is something which is very important to, I think, get your head around this manga and one of the main things I think if you are into philosophy in regards to literature, specifically manga and anime, I think this component when you, if you do read it, if you have not read it already, would be a really good way to look at the text. To understand Sartre's the Sartian subtext which comes out of this manga, we must understand Jean-Paul Sartre's analysis of human reality and it's, it's quite simple from what I understand and that is that he views human reality as, and I paraphrase, is what is not and is not what it is. So essentially he's saying that human reality isn't what you think it is. And that is where Sartre's notion of bad faith comes in. When Sartre refers to bad faith, which is a contradictory term, faith goes against it being bad. Your sense of belief is not necessarily what you think is bad, from, from what I understand of it anyway. 
He mostly talks about it in regards to self-deception, and this is something which is probably the main components of the manga. I don't necessarily know if Asuna was trying to point this out or hint this out. I don't know if Asuna read Sart. It would be cool if he did, but it's still definitely something which really influences and drives this manga. But Sartre talks a lot about the essence of individuals, the essence being these roles which are attached to us, so that could be a job, that could be anything really, these are something which aren't your core existence and who you truly are at the core of you, it's the things which people slap onto you effectively as labels and stereotypes. But upon one realising that they are not simply their essence, so Kaoru in this case not simply a mangaka, Sartre then goes to make the claim that some of these roles take almost an undeniable precedence over another. And although we are able to acknowledge that we are able to create our own freedom, we aren't simply free from the mercy of our circumstances as he describes. And in fact we're bound to the mercy of our circumstances, we are bound to these roles either way. And here is where I think everything becomes almost full circle. Those in creative industries and Kaoru as a mangaka simply aren't free from this notion of numbers and one may want to deceive themselves and believe that they aren't, Kaoru may want to deceive himself and say that he isn't a mangaka or he hates manga, but he can't escape it. We even get some times within the chapters of which where he ends up having these almost meltdowns or outbursts and then he ends up screaming to one of his previously or former colleagues, come back when you sell more than me. He doesn't like to admit that these numbers are something which are important but meanwhile even if they are important or not, that isn't really the debate, he's bound to them and the industries are bound to him. This creates this almost unhealthy behaviour because as I said earlier, quantity ends up proceeding or taking precedence over quality. Your artistic freedom is one, capped by your mental freedom, but it's also capped by this notion of numbers. And so arguably people like Haru and manga artists or those in the creative industries are passively capped by their circumstances. I think this is where creatives, whether that's content creators, whether that's writers, whether that's mangakas, become almost disenfranchised with what they make because it's that constant battle between making content or making a book or writing a manga and making an anime that you know is going to sell well because it appeals to what the audience wants, it appeals to the market, or are you going to make something which you truly like, which isn't necessarily going to appeal to everyone? Of course it will appeal to some people, but you know it won't appeal to the masses and do you simply attune to the mob mentality which is what is in the now, what is popular, what is snappy or do you take a risk and do what is what one could consider pretentious and create something which is a lot more niche and I'm not criticizing what is niche, I make a podcast which is you can argue niche but I think the manga just goes to show that safety and economic safety doesn't necessarily mean happiness and and one's safety, again numerically, does not necessarily translate to one being happy from the artistic point of view. It doesn't satisfy their creative juice, it's a waste of creativity almost. And so overcoming that contradiction is one which is really hard in today's world I would say and one within the manga as well. I find it quite ironic how within a time today, what you can argue to be almost postmodern time, where art is known to have very minimal limitations, it's not a time in history where 
you have a church regulating what you make. There isn't, or at least amongst what you can argue to be a popular opinion, high and low art, although I'd still say that that exists passively amongst the perception of some people. But even with all those restrictions, there is still a cap on creativity. And so it really does open the question as to whether freedom really does exist and true creative freedom. Is that existent at all? Because how does one truly validate what they have made besides the system of validation which we use, which is numbers and money and views, if you want to talk about content creation? The feeling or feeling of satisfaction that your work is quote-unquote good enough isn't enough for a lot of people and a lot of creators. And so I guess human validation is the only thing which they can accept as something valuable. However, I don't want you to think that this is a completely bleak manga because there is a bit of hope or freedom, you can say, if I want to be all punny about it. But Kaoru manages to, at least we can imply, get an understanding of freedom when someone fully gives their freedom to him and he starts to realize his role as a creative. With some of what you can refer to as his quote-unquote diehard fans, one manages to actually reach out to him and, and they literally say that you are my god, you have saved me. So I guess Arsenal tries to say here that freedom can only be understood, or at least Kaoru is able to understand freedom when someone is willing to give up almost all their freedom to someone else. And so he realizes his role is important. And so just to give it a bit more real life context, I guess maybe we won't as creatives or creatives in general might not be able to get over this contradiction between creativity and pushing art. And if you want to go as far as avant-gardism and all that, they might not be able to get over this contradiction between that and numbers and capitalism and economics. But that isn't to say that there isn't a role for creativity within the world. And that is why people make content. That is why people create things because it has an impact on people. And, and that's something to remember. Acknowledging that you're able to provide freedom for someone else is probably just as important as, as having freedom. Knowing that you have the ability to grant someone freedom within their life and grant them headspace, you can say potentially is all the artistic freedom you really need. As long as you have enough artistic freedom to help someone out within their own life and provide them value and worth for living, whether that's through entertainment or whether that's through advice, that is all they need. And I, I, I do want to get a bit personal here and I, I would say that this is why I really love this manga. This manga taught me that creating content or just creating things in general is a lot more than just receiving validation. Validation is something which most definitely rules all our lives whether we like it or not. Humans, I would argue, seek pleasure and seek attention in some form or another. We are quite sociable as creatures, but validation isn't the only thing of which we strive for, at least shouldn't be the only thing of which we strive for. If anything, we should help others feel valid, or that that is where the emphasis should be. It should be more on helping other people feel valid rather than making ourselves feel valid, and we'll receive validation from giving others validation. It's almost like the notion of the more you give, the more you receive. It, it, it goes like that. Another key takeaway which I'd most definitely extract is just, and this is a bit more of a simple one, that creatives are real people. People, there are people behind 
the work of which you consume or the work of which we all consume and art which we consume. I think sometimes there is the tendency to view whether that's manga, anime, TV, film as an entity in itself. It, it's what Roland Barthes referred to as the death of the author. The, it's not literal but it's a metaphor for how the person in the middle being the producer who created it simply just has almost faded out as a concept and it's about the relationship between the audience and the piece of media that has almost been erased within our culture today of which we consume art even the concept of consuming art and consumption we are going straight to the piece itself and so Arsenal most definitely brings a lot of light to the fact that creators are real people and they have real feelings this really does remind me of the stuff which happened recently and I don't want to talk about it too much but the stuff with Horikoshi as well in regards to My Hero Academia He's a real person and he has real emotions. He's a real person pumping out this manga every week. And so disrespecting him just is a real thing. It's not, you're not just necessarily offending My Hero Academia or if we talk about Hideakiano and Evangelion, you're not just disrespecting Evangelion. You're disrespecting a real person who took time to create something. And so downfall, although I don't know if whether this is something that Arsenal experienced himself, I don't think it's a true story or anything. But it's a real reminder that creativity is most definitely something to be appreciated because there are people who are battling within their own minds to create something of which you enjoy. And no, the manga isn't necessarily against criticism. And no piece of art is against criticism or above criticism, but just remember that creativity takes time, it takes effort, and there's a lot more of a story behind a piece of art than you once thought because of the life of the creator. You don't know what the creator is going through, you don't live with them. And so I guess the main message is to appreciate because they are already going through this battle of freedom between the numbers and pushing art. As we are able to consume how we want in an age of which technology is a big thing, we can consume how we want, when we want, where we want, but a lot went into that work. And so I'll just briefly summarize why I think this is my favorite manga. And the reason for that is that it taps into a lot of things which we deal with today. We deal with a creative culture which is really based upon numbers and underpinned by capitalism. I'm not particularly criticizing that, but it most definitely comes with negative consequences, which is this battle between pushing art and creativity and creating almost risk-free and safe pieces which are able to strive amongst the masses. It also just made me reflect on the creative process of things in general and how inspiration and the coming around of art is far more complicated than what it seems to be. The creative process is one of which consumes one's life, it's one which you have to be committed to, and when one's commitment isn't fully there, it's very hard to come up with something. I've experienced this myself when it comes to creating podcasts, but I'm sure that people are doing much bigger things than me, such as writers and musicians, etc., have to go through a lot of things to think, and it takes time and effort to actually think about something and create an idea. But that very idea is one which is very restricted by a lot of factors which we try to escape and we try to not acknowledge, and that thing which haunts us, which I've said multiple times today, are numbers.
And finally, it reminded me of the industry, not necessarily the manga industry, but creative industries in general. That there are real people behind this, and and it's a lot more personal than you might think it is. And so, with that being said, that is the analysis done for this week. Hopefully, you enjoyed this episode. This isn't an episode I said I would really do, and also it's a bit of a different format, as you might have realized. I don't usually talk about real life stuff, and I don't really intend to do that all the time. But I think that that is what is so special about this manga. It's able to address things which are really happening within the anime and manga landscape today, and those are things which I feel kind of passionate about, and I wanted to discuss today. And so, if you haven't read Downfall, it's eight chapters. I'd most definitely recommend it. Is you don't necessarily have to see the philosophy within it, but I think there are some really powerful messages which you can take from it. When it's almost a meta manga, it's a manga about manga, and it definitely makes some references to the landscape of today. And if you end up checking it out, tell me what you think. Whether that's on Twitter at getinthemecha, whether that's via email, so that is getinthemecha at gmail dot com. I will repeat. Guess in the Mecca at gmail dot com. Any of those methods would be great. Tell me what you think about the manga if you haven't read it already. If you have read the manga, tell me what you think about it, and I might even so read it on the podcast. But on lighter topics, let's move to the in the moment segment. There's just one thing I want to talk about, which I recently watched. If you are new to the podcast, the in the moment segment, as I usually say, is very simple. It's the most basic segment ever. What I do is I just talk about what I've been reading and watching recently. And this time or this week, I watched Death Billiards, or if I'm saying it right, Death Billiards. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know how it's pronounced, but Death Billiards is the short film which inspired Death Parade, or it's what preceded Death Parade. From my reading, not much reading, basically looking at my anime list. From what I understand, Death Billiards was a short film which was meant to educate animators. It was used as an educational tool for Japanese animators, and then I don't think its intention was to be turned into a series or a mainstream show on TV or anything. But they ended up doing that, and so I don't know if I'm going to be watching Death Parade anytime soon. But I want to see this because one, it's short and convenient to watch. And two, I wanted to see how this would almost work as an educational tool, as it's not a active educational tool, and by that I mean it's not teaching you physically. Oh, look at this right here. Look at this right here. From the way I watched it, anyway. But I wanted to look at the animation techniques and just see what you could potentially learn from this. And I think it's actually quite good. There's some really interesting and dynamic cinematography within the entire thing. There's even a fight scene at some point. So I guess that's mixing stuff like character acting and fighting Sakuga. Shameless plug: fighting Sakuga. I spoke about two episodes ago. But there's really an interesting mix between that. And so I wonder whether that was what they attempted to do regarding teaching animation. I do watch a lot of short films generally, but I really did enjoy this one. And as a standalone piece, it's very self-contained. It manages to conclude very nicely. It manages to begin very nicely, but it also doesn't ask too many questions. It's able to work by itself as a single piece because it's based on a very simple concept of two men going down to what you can potentially argue, although we don't really know, as purgatory, and they have to duke it out in a battle of pool to see who goes to heaven or hell. 
Do we truly get to know who goes to heaven or hell? No, but you can kind of guess it, maybe. And the, the funny thing is that Purgatory, uh, if you've watched Death Parade, you already know this, but for anyone who hasn't, this quote-unquote Purgatory, from what I understand it as from the context of Death Billiards, is a bar. <laughs> so it's a rather comedic way of portraying Purgatory. But that in itself is just what I look for in a short film, not necessarily comedy. But these things which are able to explain themselves without too much explanation. There isn't really a need for long explanations as to what this is and what's going on. You kind of get the gist through its symbolism. You can tell through some of the characters that, okay, this is a place of death almost. And through the game, you can tell that this is going to mean something and it all leads to each other and you don't really have any major questions. Obviously, the conclusion as to who went to heaven and hell is a question in itself, but that is made for the purpose of it being something which you want to get interested in. It's something to keep you thinking about the piece. But on the whole, it manages to stay really self-contained and neat. And so I really did enjoy it. It was a, it was a nice thing to watch on a Wednesday evening. So that has been the in the moment segment for this week. But yeah, I'm just taking it slow when it comes to anime at the moment. Trying to just try some new things here and there, but I'm not really looking to get invested in something really big at the moment. But as I said, this has been the in the moment segment. Let's go to some key takeaways and some closing thoughts on my favorite manga at the moment, Downfall. Throughout today's podcast and I've spoken about a lot of things in regards to lessons I've learned from this manga but I would say the ultimate thing I've learned is that art and creativity simply are just hard things. These are not simple things which you are simply gifted with although we can argue that some people are gifted with art well talents for art and creativity but there's definitely a level of difficulty which comes with it. Inspiration and the race of which we are all in to try and create the next big thing or the next good thing is one which does not fall right into our laps and so we have to keep creating and keep striving to create that. Creativity has evolved into something which is a lot more than creating for the sake of creating but it's about creating for the sake of sustaining yourself and creating for the sake of income and the stakes of creativity have become a lot higher and Asano and Asano has a brilliant commentary on this within Downfall and so I just love to say that this manga has helped me and hopefully will help you understand the process behind art and creativity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Guess in the Mecca. Again, quite an unusual episode this week, but I felt passionate about this manga and I couldn't really hold it back anymore, so I really wanted to make an episode on it. But that has been episode 41. Thank you for listening as always. I don't really have anything to say. The 40 to 50 episode range will be getting more and more spicy. I have some interesting things prepared. I know I say interesting a lot, but I can't really say it in any other way. I have some things which I'm really excited to release. Miniseries Beyond Konoha, Dreaden the Sublime, Two-Parter, Eva Analysis, Illuminati Arc, and so many more things which I'm just really excited to do. I will say it for the third time. Thank you for listening. It's really appreciated. Stay safe. I have been your host Jamal today and this has been Get in the Mecca. 
The music in this production goes as follows. Difference by Chasers Gaming, 8-bit title screen by Joth, and Mandatory Overtime by Joth. <laughs>